Welcome to the World Football Summit podcast, the show for football industry leaders who want to stay ahead of the game. We bring you the latest insights, trends, and stories from the experts driving innovation and progress in sports business worldwide. Join us as we dive deep into the ideas and initiatives transforming the world of football. From sustainability and innovation to player development, fan engagement, and everything in between. Our goal is to unite the global football industry and drive positive change and progress. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the World Football Summit podcast. I'm your host, Jaime, CMO at World Football Summit. Today, I have a different type of episode for you. I will not be interviewing anybody. And it will be a solo episode where I discuss a few things that have caught my attention and I'm looking up for in 2024. I will discuss the importance of brand in football. Looking at Manchester United here, it's just amazing to see their brand valuation despite success off the pitch. So we will look into, you know, what is driving that. And, and also, I'm really curious about the Web3 strategy. So yeah, we're going to dig deep into, into all of those initiatives that they're doing. Then FIFRO's player safety report and related to that, the impact of not taking care of load management in football and their impact on revenues. Finally, the importance of the live experience at stadiums going forward and why the top teams in the world are investing in revamping their stadium and so much more. But before we go into it, don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast on your platform of choice. And remember, if you have any type of feedback about this type of episode, it would be very helpful if you share it with us. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, where every week we send updates, trends, and everything that goes on at our events. You can find the link in the show notes. The thing is, 2024 is going to be a very busy one for World Football Summit, as we have events in London, Mexico, Sevilla. You can check it all out on our websites. And now, enjoy this episode. Let's start with Manchester United. Few will not know about uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe uh, buying a minority stake in Manchester United, and he's going to put about 230 million euros into the club. To me, it's just amazing to see how much the Manchester United brand is worth, despite them not being as successful on the pitch uh, over recent years. No, If we look at the clubs in the English Premier League with highest brand value, according to Statista, Manchester City is worth 1,562 million. Then it's Manchester United with 1,412 million. Now, to give some context, around 2017, 2018, that number was 2,000 million. Anyway, Liverpool is 1,411 million. Arsenal, 940 million. Tottenham, 931 million. And Chelsea, 893 million. So you can see that Liverpool, despite their success, still hasn't been able to overcome Manchester United as one of the clubs, or actually the top two club in the English Premier League with highest brand value. Now, if we look at Forbes, they actually value the team at $6 billion. And, and you know, looking into that, when you look at the valuation breakdown, you have that matched, again, this is information reported by Forbes, I don't want to take any credit here, um, is around $988 million. Broadcasting is $1,991 million. Commercial revenue is above $2,000 million. And the brand itself is around $1,000 million. So again, you look at the, um, the brand valuation and you realize that it's the commercial value that's driving the most for the brand, right? And, and as actually, when you look at you know, what the folks from Brand Finders reported, the valuation of the club is driven by the growth potential and the ability to diversify their revenue streams through broadcasting, sponsorship, and merchandise. Let's not forget that for them, women's football is becoming a very strong brand. 
So it's able to attract top players and it's already drawing interest from global fans around the world. And, and you know, needless to say, the international popularity of the Manchester United brand, especially in markets like India or China, is just amazing. So again, when you look at the potential, it's just, it's huge. So they don't really need uh, that success on the pitch. In the long term, they will. But for the time being, they're able to capitalize on what we discussed to have a high brand valuation. When we look at the contracts that Manchester United, um, you know, has signed with main sponsors, I want to highlight two. First, the one with Adidas. The kit sponsorship deal with Adidas is a record-breaking deal. It's about, uh, you know, it's over 1,000 million euros um, over the next 10 years. And then they just signed a deal with Snapdragon. And it's it's a record-breaking deal because it's a 16 million pound shirt sponsorship deal. That's more or less around 70 million euros per year. Um, and this is actually going to take into effect in the 2024-2025 season. Anyway, these are just some of the you know many sponsorships that the club has been able to sign. Um, and overall, the uh, income in, in sponsorship is, is really um, I- incrementing. And the contribution of the top five partners is around 70% of the total um, sponsorship revenue in the 2022-2023 season. Nope. So definitely, I mean, it, it's just amazing. Um, then when you look at Match Day, they've actually been able to increase uh, their Match Day revenues. It seems logical, you know, they, they return to the Champions League. That's obviously going to drive more attendance to the game. And and we're kind of finally forgetting, you know, the COVID area and, and, and people are just going back to normal in terms of, of going into the stadium. But they do have some work to um to do there, as we'll see a little bit later on. No? Um, As I said at the beginning, um, I also want to talk about their Web3 strategy because I think it's super interesting. And here I want to credit the Sporting Crypto podcast. Um, If you haven't checked that out, I, I suggest you do. I recommend it. Um, If you're interested in the Web3 space and how the main sports properties in the world are kind of like, you know, playing around with. But when you look at uh, Manchester United, I want to highlight their... um their initiative that they launched in the summer of last year, no, which is Collect United. In a nutshell, and I'm trying, I'm not an expert, but I'm going to try to explain it in a way that I think it's simple to understand. Uh, basically, um, you know, on what they're able to do or what they're doing with Collect United is 48 hours ahead of each home game, they're putting out a for sale digital collectibles that fans can actually um, acquire for free. Now, this is important. Because, you know, up until now, we were seeing that a lot of um, sports properties were using Web3 to kind of monetize. They're playing a different ballgame, which I think is is kind of like, you know, and when you look at um, what Ped in the Sporting Crypto podcast says, they're trying to um, really get fan engagement. They're trying to get fans to accept that, you know, to embrace the technology rather than trying to monetize from something that fans are not actually able to understand, right? Um, so... You know, you can look at more details on the website, but basically this is the key concept that you need to grasp, right? It's it's how can I get fans to actually adopt a new technology without any type of commitment from their side, you know? So it's really a long-term engagement play that they're what they're doing. And if you think about it, I mean, what have been they have been able to do is actually get access to a lot of fine data. So um, I think, you know, and this was when, uh, when Pat put this out in his newsletter, um, basically in the past year or so, they have around... Um, 1 million fans claiming digital collect and 10% of those are actually in their Discord server, meaning they have direct relationship and they have the data of those fans. Now, this is where the value is, you know, really getting um, a direct point of contact and relationship with the fans, okay? Um, And that's something that I think, you know, um, that needs to be um, considered, let's say, right? Um, Anyway, um, speaking about, you know, um, the power of brand, um, we actually published um, 
an article in our World Football Summit blog, um, basically analyzing the power of the brand through um, three main major sports properties, which are the Serie A, La Liga, and the Saudi Pro League. Right. Basically, what is the city doing, for example, in terms of um, in terms of the brand? Well, they first they're recognizing that, you know, um, football is not only competing with other forms of sports, you know, um, they're actually competing with other forms of entertainment for the attention of the people. Right now, when they look at football, they understand there are two elements that stand out as key differentiation factors for sports. One, the life experience. And second, the unique emotions that only football can create. And from this, they developed a storytelling strategy. And this is crucial. In today's world, you know, um, storytelling is key. And who are the probably two most powerful agents that are developing um, powerful stories? First, the fans themselves. And second, the athletes, right? Now, um, if you want to, let, let's look into the role of the athlete, right? I mean, we live in an era where fans are actually following players around more or engaging more with players than with actually clubs themselves. And if you want to look into the data, again, let's go back to Statista and let's look at Messi. Lionel Messi, after signing for Inter Miami, um, let's look at the evolution of the social media followers that the club uh, has gained, right? First, in Instagram, before the announcement, they had 1.1 million followers in Instagram. Now, they have almost 7 million. On TikTok, they had they weren't even reaching a million, and now they're at 2.6 million. Same thing went off from Facebook. They had actually 0.3 million, and now they're at 1.1 million. And finally, on X, they had uh, 0.18 million, and now they have you know, around 500,000 guys you know, following them on, on, on the Twitter accounts. Okay? Anyway, so, so really, it tells you about you know, the, the, the power of, of the brand, right? Um, and, 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 you know, in... Let's stick with Messi because I think this is just a, a, an interesting, a very interesting example. Looking at that uh, followers that, that he has, actually, Inter Miami now has more followers than every NFL, MLB, and NHL team, right? And it's only lacking, I think it's three NBA franchises. So other than that, they have more followers than, you know, I think it's 26 franchises in the NBA. So it's just amazing, right? Um, and then, um, you know, before uh, joining the um, mm, before joining the club, the the outlook for the club wasn't as bright from the business side. But now they had actually a valuation of around five hundred million, and the projection says it could reach a valuation of one billion. Right. So I mean, um, in terms of revenues, just through the two thousand twenty three season, remember Messi joined midway through the season. They were able to generate one hundred and twenty million dollars in revenue, um, whereas the previous year. They had earned only only um, fifteen million, right? So you can see the power of Messi as a brand, right? Um, so and actually the expectations, the projections they have for this upcoming season when Messi is going to be, um, uh, you know, playing the, the full season with them, projections are around two hundred million, right? So it's just uh, it, it's just amazing how one player can really impact um, the the future of a, of a franchise. You no know? attendance is off the roof. They've been able to increase prices. They've actually uh, I think it's roughly doubled uh, the um, the ticket prices or the average ticket price uh, for the club. So, so for the season ticket holders, um, you look at the uh, signups that you know, as you guys probably know, um, it's Apple TV Plus who has the broadcasting rights, the global broadcasting rights for um, MLS. Um, they were able to sign just on the day that Messi announced he was signing for Inter Miami, 110,000 signups. Right now, you would have to look into the churn of that. I, I get that, but I mean, just just look at you know how. Um, one day can really impact the long-term revenues of a, of a broadcaster, right? So again, 
looking at at, at that is just a um, it's, it's it's just a great uh, use case, right? Anyway, um, however, it's not only about having great players, you know. Um, and one of the things that we discussed in the article that I mentioned before that you can find in the World Football Champion blog, um, Javier Tebas, president of La Liga, he always argues that having a strong league goes beyond having great players, which of course is very important, but it has to be more than that. Um, let's say that you know. Um, you really need to not only work on your brand as property and uh, in the case of La Liga as La Liga itself, but also of the clubs. Um, and, and then you have to really tour a lot. If you want to get international exposure, if you want to get, let's say, love from international fans, you really have to get close to the fans, which is something also that the Serie A is doing quite well. Um, and then you really have to have a strong broadcasting strategy because at the end of the day, you need distribution. Okay, if you're not going to get a strong di distribution and you're not going to get well known, it doesn't really matter what you're doing in terms of bringing great players. You really get, really net get to. You really need to get um, good distribution out of that, right? Anyway, um, and and just look at Inter Miami. What are they doing? They're touring the world right now. Why? Because they understand that if they want to hit that projection of about two hundred million dollar euros, um, two hundred million dollars, a projection in revenues, they you know, they need to be close to new fans. They're traveling to Japan, they're climbing to Argentina, they're going to Korea, they're going to Saudi. I mean, they're going all over the place, right? Now, of course, this, um, you know, can probably impact the performance of the players. We'll get to that a little bit later. But, you know, you really have to balance that. And sometimes it's something that, you know, you, you need to balance and, and, and just be aware that if you have that unique opportunity of having Messi on your team, sometimes you just have to, you know, you have to do that, right? Anyway. Um, so actually let's, let's, maybe it's a good segue, um, to, to talk about the, uh, you know, the second thing that I wanted to discuss with you guys today, which is the fifth pro player safety report. Now, um, what, um, they're doing, uh, the guys from FIFA pro is they're looking to understand the scale and the impact of violence and abuse towards footballers in the workplace. All right. Now, what do we understand when we speak about, um, safety? Well, there's three main categories. First. It's the invasion of the workplace, meaning fans invading the pitch, or maybe uh, some spectators trying to get into the, the, you know, the dressing rooms, or maybe, you know, um, the training grounds even. That also, you know, it comes into play here. Physical attacks. So physical attacks on players, throwing objects, you know, or maybe attacks on team buses. And then finally, you have your verbal abuse, which is, you know, you know, the, the, the whatever you can think of, really. It's just uh, th threats to either family members, to the players themselves. Uh, online abuse. Online abuse. I mean, there's just so many things, right? Um, why did this stand out to me? Well, 90% of players suffer discriminatory verbal abuse before a match, and you know, to me, the question is, why is this seen as normal? And and not only that, another interesting data point to to consider here is that 83% of those players actually agree that these verbal, you know, um, and, and these discriminatory abuses can actually lead to depression and mental health issues, you know. So, and guys, don't believe this is only happening in men's football. Unfortunately, it was surprising to see that 34% of the unions um, said that, you know, they were noticing a, a growing um, number of cases related to women's football as well. So this is something that we really need to um, to, to consider, okay? This, this at World Football Summit, we believe in, in a different football, and this is one of the aspects that we need to fix, all right? Another um, aspect to consider here. Um, which is the report that I mentioned at the beginning, um, is the is the FIFPRO um, report on on load management, and and they've been you know you've probably seen the news of Kylian Mbappe a couple of weeks ago 
um, you know, kind of like saying that, you know, they need to be taking care of a calendar and, and how it could impact, you know, their, their careers and all that. So I just thought it was a good time to share some, some interesting facts about, um, you know, um, how, how much really is, this is impacting, no? Let's look at Jude Bellingham. At his age, he's played almost 4,000 more minutes than Wayne Rooney at the same age, 12,000 more minutes than Steven Gerrard, and 14,000 more minutes than David Beckham. It's just amazing. Let's look at Kylian Mbappe. He's played 37% more minutes than Thierry Henry at the same age. Or Vinicius. He's played 12,000 more minutes than Ronaldinho at the same age. So, guys, I mean, this is, you know, um, what is happening here? Why are these, you know, younger players um, playing so many more games? Is it good for their careers? Are they going to be able to to really um, stand the test of time with so many minutes behind, you know, on their legs, let's say, right? Now, in the 2022-2023 season, do you want to guess who was the player with most minutes out there? Um, it was Bruno Fernandes. Now, look at let, let's look at his numbers. He almost played around 6,000 minutes. And the second pers person there was Enzo Fernandes, and he played barely above 5,000 minutes. Just look at the difference. In the case of Bruno, 74% of his games were actually consecutive. And his average resting period was around four days, let's say. Right? So, I mean, again, one would wonder, isn't this a career risk for these players that we all love to see? Um, and not only that, look at it from the commercial side of it. Look at the NFL. They're able to bring more annual revenues, around $19 billion, than the Premier League, La Liga. Bundesliga, Serie A, and League One combined. Now, credit to the stat to Joe Bompliano, but I thought it was just a, a mind-blowing stat. Again, let's repeat that. The NFL is able to bring in more men, more revenue than the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, and League One combined. Wow. So, and if you look at, you know, their um, comparison with other sports leagues, the NBA has around $11 billion in, in revenues. Again, NFL has $19 billion. Projections are they can reach $25 billion. So, one would think, isn't scarcity and, and, and premium gains um, something worth considering? I mean, it, if it's good for business, if it's good for players, I don't know, something, I'm missing something there. If you guys know anything that I don't know, please share with me because, because it's just, it, it's, you know, it's interesting, at least, you know, to say the least. Anyway, final thing I want to discuss with you today is just the life experience. I, I think this is going to be a key trend going forward for 2024. And why I believe this is because, you know, we were saying at the beginning, Sports is competing with other forms of entertainment. Um, you know, call it you know, series, documentaries, cinema. You know, there's so many things, you know, that, that one can do now. Um, but I think there are two things that um, help sports and football really stand out. First, the unpredictability of the result. That's one thing. And the second is the life experience. And, and don't take it from me. Just look at how the top clubs are investing in revamping their stadium. The new Santiago Bernabeu is going to be open this year. They are, and they're already, I mean, if you haven't seen the design, it's just, it looks amazing. And, and they're trying to enhance the overall experience. And they're also what they're, they're trying to do is make it more than just a football stadium. So they're already in talks to have uh, top tier concerts. Taylor Swift will be going there, I think. You know, um, the NFL, there's rumors that they could be playing there in 2025. Concerts, events, you know, whatever you can think of right? Um, then one of the main issues with the Manchester United deal that we were talking about at the beginning of the show is, you know, that they're going to be putting uh, money into their stadium. Um, to put it in, into exact numbers, it is reported that Ineos, um, Sir Jim Radcliffe's company, is going to put um, 236 million pounds into a club. And they say that around 65, 70% of that is going to be put into the stadium. 
because they understand they need to revamp Old Trafford. Old Trafford needs to be a landmark stadium in the football industry and they need to provide awesome experiences for their um, for their fans. Um, but they're not, only, they're not the only ones. Just look at Barcelona is also revamping. Manchester City. I mean, again, the top clubs in Europe are investing in their stadium. Why? Because they understand the life experience is one of the key things they need to um, improve in the traditional sports business model, right? And in that sense, they're not the only ones. You look at the Saudi Pro League. This is one of the things that they're that they're constantly facing as a challenge. And even though uh, I think attendance has risen there like around 150% since Cristiano Ronaldo joined, but still, they're putting a lot of investment into getting more attendance to the games and improving the quality of the stadiums. And if you haven't seen the Kidiya Stadium, um, I mean, that's just going to be awesome. It's going to be a 45,000-seat uh, stadium. Um, you know, it's going to be home to Ali Lal and Al Nassar. I mean, it's going to be, you know, the, the first fully integrated venue with with a retractable roof, a pitch and a lead wall. You know, it's just going to be something that that probably the world has never seen before. So really looking forward to that, seeing live, if it's at some point in my life I can, right? Um, again, um, as I was saying before, the goal for football clubs is to maximize traffic throughout the year. Um, you know, concerts, events. The, the guys from Kidilla are also going to do esports competitions, which is, you know, another topic we can touch upon in the future. Everything goes into play. But in this sense, I want to go back to a framework that I once, um, you know, was discussing with Felix Torralba from Real Mallorca, you know, I, to enhance the experience, um, a club has to understand first the environment and the ecosystem that they're, you know, working in. So for example, in the case of Mallorca, it's a tourist destination, it's good weather, there's beaches, no? but maybe, you know, a club in Denmark cannot offer that. What can that club in Denmark um, offer? Every, every club has a unique context that they can leverage, right? Second, what does the fan want out of the experience? And, and again, I'm going to be having an interesting conversation on the show in the future about who is actually the fan. That's, I think, one key question that football properties need to consider. Who is the fan? Um, and then the club's assets. So what can you offer out to the world? Okay. Um, and yeah, and, and this also goes back to to a panel I actually moderated during Football Innovation Forum back in uh, in June of last year, you know, in Istanbul, um, you know, with with uh, Milos from La Liga and, and Juan Anton from Villarreal. Um the key here is to reduce the friction as much as possible for the fan, all right? That's that's one of the things that, and for that, you really need to understand the entire fan journey and consider that the fan journey doesn't start in the stadium. It probably starts days before the actual game, right? So how can you make it? And, and then it doesn't stop when, you know, the referee blows the final whistle. It probably goes after, you know, even a couple of days, right? So again, um, what are the different touch points that you can improve as a property to have a better experience for your fan? Um, I think that's something that we're going to see many interesting initiatives. Um, if you know of, of one that that is out there and you guys want to discuss it, you know, uh, in the podcast, I'd be happy to um, to be in touch and, and, and see if we can share some information with, with you know, the audience out there. Um, and I think that's something that a trend that, that's going to happen in 2024. No? So anyway, um, yeah, that's pretty much all for me today, guys. Uh, you know, I hope you found it interesting. Uh, you remember that we cover all of these topics in our events. So we have events in London, as I said, you know, um, speaking of stadiums, we're going to be at, uh, you know, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium um, during Football Innovation Forum. We have uh, WFS Americas in Mexico on June 5th and June 6th. We have uh, WFS Europe in Sevilla in September. Um, by the way, tickets are available for that now. So if you guys want to purchase, uh, you know, go ahead because we have our super early bird offer available and, and it's just a great discount it's, uh, up to a 50% discount. Um, and, and, you know, you can check everything out on our, on our website, right? Um, it would mean the world to me if, if you let me know what you thought about this episode, if you want, um, us to do more of these, um, it's kind of boring. Maybe you did. Um, I just want to make sure that you guys enjoyed it or not. And, it, and if so, and if, 
there's you know uh, something that you took out of value let me know and we can do more of these in the future um reach out on social media you know you know where to reach us at world football summit um before you go don't forget to subscribe to rate the podcast on your platform of choice you will not believe how much that helps us and of course if you want to share it with uh you know a friend of yours someone in the, in the industry uh, feel free to do so um and and yeah it, it's been great thank you guys for tuning in if you made it this far um i hope you enjoyed it and you learned something um let me know if you didn't and you know we'll hopefully see you next time Thank you.